everybody, and welcome back to the Fenway Rundown. This is Mass Live's Red Sox podcast, and I'm your host, Chris Cotillo. Today, we actually have a Mass Live alum, somebody who is uh, very familiar to Red Sox fans for his long stint covering uh, the team in a very mediocre fashion. We have Evan Drellick from The Athletic. What's your official title now? Are you business of baseball writer? What do they What do they pay you for over there at this point? Senior writer, national writer, business of baseball writer. Um Wow. Not, not, not Chris Cotillo, you know, any of the, any of those work. It's a lot of fancy terms. Yeah. yeah. Well, you are uh, shockingly useful for once in the middle of this uh, labor dispute, because you do have your proverbial finger on the pulse of what is going on um, with a lot of coverage at the athletic and on Twitter about uh, the lack of progress that has taken place between major league baseball and the players association over the last two plus months. Everybody knows uh, baseball is locked out. There is no end in sight. Looks like spring training is going to be delayed. So I thought we'd bring you on and do kind of a lockout 101 for the uh, for the people out there that don't really know exactly why this is happening or when it's going to end. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just open it up to you now. There's a meeting yesterday. Uh, sides got together for about 90 minutes on core economics. Sounds like there's another meeting today, Wednesday, as we record on non-core economics, which you can explain the differences there. But uh, after yesterday's meeting, not a lot of progress. Where do things stand at this point, Evan Drellick? Spring training is likely to be delayed and they are very far apart. You know, the, the difference between yesterday, Tuesday's meeting and Wednesday's meeting, uh, today's meeting, I don't know when you're publishing this, so sorry if I'm screwing you up, um, is like you said, core economics versus non-core. So, you know, there's the meat and potatoes stuff is uh, how many years does it take a guy to get to uh, arbitration and the minimum salary, like all, all the stuff that really moves the money is the most contentious stuff, but in a collective bargaining agreement, there's a a lot of other subjects they've got to work out. You know, for example, the joint drug agreement or the the, the domestic violence policy, you know, and and there are plenty of other areas. So today's meeting, the non-core meeting is, um, it's not talking the the real money issues. It's talking the other issues that they got to sort out and have ready to go at the point that they do get the money issues sorted out. But, you know, if you go down the list of topics even just inside the money, we will. We can. You know, they're 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 very far apart on mm-hmm. basically all of them. And so, you know, I, I know that you're probably asked this, you know, privately and publicly all the time of handicap for us. You know, your percentages of what are, what are the odds that spring training starts on time? Are we at zero for that one now? Virtually, yeah. yeah. The, 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 we're, we're we're just too close. You know, if when you, if you mean spring training starting on time being pitchers and catchers report right. February fifteenth or so, or fourteenth or sixteenth, depending on whatever your team says, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in the sense that like you're taught as a reporter, you don't uh, you don't totally rule something out that's like physically possible. So yeah, is it physically possible they could do something? Yeah, are they gonna? No, they're very far apart. And um, while we may believe in miracles in other respects of life. I don't see one that will get a deal done for guys to report to pitch, pitchers and catchers, uh, you know, the, the pre-planned date of mid-February. In two weeks. And then opening day, where would you handicap that right now? It's, you know, the closer we get to it and the less progress there is, it's just steadily declines. Of course. And yeah. I wrote a column a couple of weeks ago. You should go read it, theathletic.com. That's, I, you know, I think going to be relevant for a while. Like, I, I think after a lot of these meetings, I could basically say the same thing again and again. Um, the question 
we know the players want to change, right? It, it, they're the ones who want, they're, they're driving the push for making change. The owners are, are basically okay with the status quo. It seems pretty clear to me that the owners are not going to just hand over what the players want. And you can sit there and go, well, why would they? Totally fair question. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so if you know that and you and you go like, well, why would anybody just hand something over unless you have to? Um, so then it comes down to a question of, well, how much do players want the change and how much are they willing to fight for? Because it's very clear that the owners are going to make them fight. So if if indeed the players sit there and go, no, we really need to have more changes than they're giving, then I think the regular season is absolutely going to be impacted because right. I, I, I unless, you know, there's some massive change of heart and there could be. But, um, you know, the, the owners aren't giving what the players want. So the only recourse you have then is to not play. And what do you think the shortest spring training they can feasibly pull off is three weeks, three and a half weeks? I know they did it a couple of years ago, but uh, this is different because they didn't have, you know, spring training before spring training 2.0 this time around if it does get shortened. Yeah, I don't know. How much did, did in 2020 when they did the summer camp, when they restarted it, how much did the fact that they had had spring training in March matter, right? Because it was already, yeah. wasn't it, was, it was June at that point. Jul- uh, yeah, July. Yeah. Uh, There's still uh, something, huh? I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you throw a baseball three months ago, this is, I, anyway, I, I think I think they're self-contained at that point. So, no, you're not going to see something shorter than three weeks like you did, I think it was like 22 days mm-hmm. uh, in 2020. Uh, you're not going to see anything shorter than that. But, you know, you get different opinions. Some people might think that really you shouldn't do three weeks, you should do four weeks. So we don't know exactly what the union and the players feel about it um i I do know there's some pitchers out there who think it should be four weeks um so assume pitchers are going to want longer than position players as always yeah so all right so assume that four weeks is the uh you know be conservative you know if 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 it's going to take four weeks and if you want to start the season on time you've got to get guys down to spring training you know basically in that first week of march i know that you know in terms of big picture there are things that the players want to fight for that are going to advance the game moving forward and set up future players. And, and the things that have come out of the CBA are going to be you know, very impactful for a long time, but just in the short term after, and obviously the shortened season two years ago was nobody's fault, you know, baseball and, and nobody in the world had control over that. But um, how damaging is it short-term product wise, attention wise, relevancy wise to have potentially your second shortened season in three years um, and what that does kind of to the product just uh, in 2022. And the other question there is, does baseball care? It's not that, that either side doesn't care. It's that they care more about their bottom lines. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you, you can rightly start the question, well, where, where, do, where do those intersect? Where, and and that, that's really the whole game, right, is how mm-hmm. many games do you miss before it doesn't make sense to miss games anymore? Um, you know, the, I did a story in 19 on trying to understand these, these bigger picture questions about the health of the game. And I sat down with Manford briefly, uh, like 10 minutes or something, 15 minutes, but at the start of the conversation, he held up his cell phone. I told this in a couple other places, but I, I, I like this anecdote. He holds up the cell phone and says, this is a problem. Like he's holding, show me the phone. This, this is a problem. Yeah. Um, meaning that young people, old people, anybody, and young people are a special group, but uh, everybody has entertainment options in their pocket now, right? So baseball is competing with Netflix, not just basketball, not just 
football and hockey and go down the list. Uh, so it, it is a very different and rapidly changing entertainment landscape in 2022. Um, that was the case in 2020, but it's not, you know, in recent times, certainly different than it was in 1994, 95, when you had the last work stoppage in baseball, right? So it's already kind of perilous where you, you really got to do a lot and make changes and adapt to keep your fan base's attention. Um, so in that context, it's not a great thing to give people make it easier for them to just pick up their phone and go, oh, oh screw it. I'll just I'll go watch Hulu or whatever it is. It, it, it's just so easy to turn away. Mm-hmm. Um, history shows that people do come back to baseball. You, know, you can argue it took a steroids infused scandal to do it. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's put it this way. I'm not ready to sit there and go baseball will be dead if they mm-hmm. miss X games. Uh, I don't think missing a regular season in, in its entirety would be good. I also don't think that's going to happen. I don't right. think there's any way they miss uh, an entire regular season because there's just way too much money on the line relative, like even adjusted for inflation, the sport makes so much more money uh, than it used to. What was the other part of that? Well, we'll just do they care. And, and you said they, you know, the intersection of what they care about versus uh, the, the short-term loss which I think answer both parts. Yeah. I, 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 they care about their bottom lines, right? You know, it, it, it is true. Fa- you know, fans don't have a seat at this table directly. They indirectly do with like, you know, you vote with your wallet, but um, yeah, they, they care about, they are self-interested parties. Make no mistake about that. And what about the theory that they think that they can just roll the balls out, start whenever, and people are just going to flock. And they think that, you know, they're, they're the game, whether that it's, the owners, the players, or both think that they're, you know, above the idea of, of losing fans who will not come back. Um, yeah, I, there, there probably is a, a general confidence that the sport's not going to disappear because of some missed games. Uh, I assume that there's an understanding as well that it, there could be certainly short-term impact where people – uh, would turn away you know i mean the sport does have i think they call it the national pastime right like you know they mm-hmm. can rest on their laurels a little bit that people do love baseball and, and have always loved baseball and um will always be there but it's you know it, it's essentially trying to predict the future like could this time be different could because there's so many other entertainment options yeah um it be different i don't know i i don't you know i think i'm a relatively smart guy but i, I, I no. they haven't taught me how to see the future just yet um I I, th- I think I think it's you know it's kind of the same answer as the previous one that they they have they have enough confidence in their position in this country that I mean we'll see, right? Maybe they'll get a deal before opening day. But I, I right now I don't think either side is opposed to the idea of missing games simply on the basis of the sport will die if we miss games. It all it would depend on how many how many games you miss. So Take us, you know, and I know you're not necessarily in the room, but if a better knowledge of what the room is like, then I would say most people or 99.9% of people. So is it really, you know, like the, the suits come in uh, from either side and they throw a proposal across the table and then they look at it and scoff and scream at each other? Or, or what, is the, what are those meetings actually like? Yeah, it's basically right. You said, yeah. um, most of these meetings are, are one side presenting something to the other and then there's some discussion and occasionally as there was tuesday 
and as there was last week on uh, uh, Monday of, of the prior week, sometimes it gets very heated. You know, that it's kind of an airing of the grievances and eventing. Um, but, you know, the, basically the union or the league will call the other up and say, look, uh, we're, we're going to make a proposal on X, Y, and Z. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a broad, you know, sometimes it's like three different areas. Sometimes it might be one area. Sometimes it's, it's the whole kit and caboodle, you know, so it, it's the um, first kit and caboodle in Fenway rundown history. I'm pretty sure. I'm an old soul, my friend. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, then they, 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 they'll get together and it, it kind of depends on the setting of how many people go. So, you know, right before the lockout started, both sides were in Dallas and you had the players had their board meeting. So that you had a lot of players there in person. You also had um, the entirety of MLB's labor policy committee, which is seven owners. Right. So they were all in a room at points, not all, not at all points. So in Dallas, but you know, they were all in the room. Mm-hmm. What's been happening in New York now this month. Well, I guess last month uh, just became February, but in the last couple of weeks is you'll have, you have the smaller contingents will come in person. So it's been basically four to a side. Dan Halem, lead negotiator for MLB, uh, Morgan Sword, who's, I think he's, he's either an EVP or SVP. He's a top economist, baseball ops. He's, he's a very central figure with them. Another lawyer, mm-hmm. Patrick Houlihan. You know, three or four guys walk over. And Dick Monfort, who's the chair of MLB's labor policy, he'll be there. Um, and then you have other people on video. So, so on Tuesday of this week, there was only four people from the union who walked over to MLB's offices, but you had another 20 to 30 players by video and, and you also had owners mm-hmm. that way. So, and then, you know, they yell at each other for a bit and, and one side makes a proposal and then they say, uh, okay, we'll think about it. And we'll get back to you. And then they schedule another meeting and round and round we go. And then Jeff Passon tweets out that a deal was not reached. A deal was never going to be reached, right? You know, that's it's a smart shtick right there because that is really the thing people care about is <laughs> simply is there going to be a deal today like yeah you could tweet every day you know it's going to be a while before we get to a point where anybody could tweet well there could be a deal today. well i mean you're, you'd never lower yourself to like a daily shtick on twitter like you know lineups out or Correct. don't really lose much do they which yeah that was yeah. that's that's the deep cut right there they don't really lose much do they is no it's a deep cut and then I like to take credit for your lead when they won the World Series because I told you you should use that as your lead. And there it went on NBCSportsBoston.com. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that my creativity at that point was was re- reduced to uh, uh, something I had tweeted, you know, yeah. how yeah, many times that you're, yeah. But thanks, well, Chris. Yeah, I'll see yeah, you. Yeah, no, anytime. Yeah, you can pay me back by, you know. No, they fired me about, about five like months later, so it's probably your fault. Yeah, well, in that case, I had nothing to do with it. Um, we're going to go rapid fire kind of on the issues in a second, which I know is, uh, can make some eyes glaze over. But in your mind, where is the needle going to be moved? Like, what are the pieces of this puzzle where you think there's actually a chance at the tangible progress, I guess, relatively soon? And, you know, where can common ground be found here? So the, the, the union's approach, the player's approach has been to, to say, we want to make overall gains, right? That's, that's the kind of the top line thing. Um, but they haven't stood there and said, we have to have X, uh, we have to have this in this one area, right? They, they, they've positioned themselves to have kind of an open-mindedness. Well, if we get, let's say we get, you know, an extra $200,000, I'm making numbers up, right? But an extra $200,000 on the league minimum, 
the minimum salary. Well, then maybe you don't need quite as much money coming to you in another area, right? That, that you know, it, it's the totality of the things that the union is pushing for. There is a leverage strategy with that, right? If they st- stood there and said, you know, six, eight months ago, this is our bottom line, this is what we need or we will not play, then that's all, you're, you're never getting more than that bottom line, right? It, 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 there's all sorts of um, strategy involved here, right? And, it, and it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's not always easy to parse, but that, that's what's at play. Neither side wants to give away their leverage. Um, the, the most interesting part is probably getting young players paid more money because both sides have a conceptual agreement on a bonus pool for guys who haven't reached arbitration, right? The league wants to pay those guys they want a lot, $10 million. The union's saying, no, 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 $100 million. That was the latest proposal. So there's, there's a huge gap there, all right? But you have at least a conceptual common ground. And so if that conceptual common ground can grow, Let's say, well, you know, let's say they get to a number that makes the union happy, whatever that number is. Assume it's lower than 100 because you know, it's what happens. Uh, and maybe the union gets some other things at once. Well, then probably I would guess what happens is the union says, okay, we don't need to get guys to arbitration after two years, right? The standard right now is three years. That, that's how long it takes for most guys to get to arbitration. Mm-hmm. The union's proposed pushing it to two. The owners definitely don't want to do that. Right. Um, so that's how these things move, right? It's so, okay. You give us in one area um, and you start to feel like you're making a gain and then maybe you let another area go. But, you know, one thing that's important to understand, it's, it's not just about horse trading. If it was only about horse trading where I give up something and you get something of equivalent value, nothing would ever change, right? right? Like the, the ledger would always be the same. And over time, these things do change and the players are making clear, we got to come out with more than we had overall. So it's not about giving up in one area to get in, in another area. And naturally, the owners don't want to do that. So I don't know if I, if I answered your question, but that's kind of, those are the moving pieces. They are all moving pieces, right? right. It, players haven't identified one thing that they say we have to have. You, you, but like, for example, the CBT, the luxury tax, they're not going to accept, I don't think, um, the current amount of raises right they, we know it needs to go up more than it is and mm-hmm. you, you can kind of make those judgments in different areas like this is too little this is too little this is too little so you touched on a couple of them but we're going to go rapid fire uh, evan and ken rosenthal wrote a uh, pretty in-depth thing on the athletic a couple of days ago outlining kind of all the issues the, the big picture ones where everything stands so um encourage anybody to read that but we'll just kind of go through a few of the issues you just talked about our pre-arb that type of stuff but Tell me, you know, basically a couple sentences each on, on where these things stand um, and, and why they're so important to either side. Start with minimum salary. The game has gotten younger, right? Teams have figured right. out that, that younger players are, are the cheapest players. So, so naturally they like them. And so the number of young players has grown and uh, the union and the players want to get these guys more money, right? They, you don't get to the market until you've been in the bigs for six years. You don't get to arbitration until three years. Uh, and so those first three years, you're making the minimum. And so the, the minimum is a very important amount of money, particularly as teams keep, you know, calling up Joe Schmo reliever who you never heard of, who happens to throw a hundred. And then the guy disappears after he blows out his arm. Right. Uh, I'm exaggerating a little, but that's kind of what's going on. And so it's the more money you can get to guys younger, the players feel is important. Right. 
So you look at a guy like, you know, Devers in 2019, not the absolute minimum, but, you know, 614,000 and, um, you know, guys making in that range, despite being MVP candidates or all-stars, those types of things, because they have- Well, this is a real, one kind of interesting point on this. Okay. So you just noted that the Red Sox were paying Devers more than the minimum, right? Right. Teams have that ability to do that. They, they can choose to pay a guy above the minimum. And many teams do like to some varying degree, like even though they don't have to. Mm-hmm. What the league has proposed most recently um, is to limit that, is to say, no, this, this is the salary you get if you're a zero to one year of service time. It's whatever. It's 615000 And the team doesn't have the ability to, to say, I'm going to give you more than that. Um, so that, that, and that's, that's a divisive thing for right. the players. The players don't like that. Next up, we've kind of covered our pre-R, but uh, the luxury tax and then the uh, possibility for a salary floor, is that still in the mix at all? Now, the, 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 the players would welcome a salary floor. The problem for the players is salary floors always come with salary caps or something that right. functions like a salary cap. So Which when MLB do that anyway? Well, we can get into that. The, in, in, in August, MLB proposed, I think it was August. Um, yeah, we'll put in a floor at $100 million, but also, but basically the other, on, on the other, with the other hand, they were making, they lowered the first luxury tax to, to 180 and basically said it made, it made the penalty so bad that if you go over, nobody was going to go over it. So you're basically cutting off free agency. You're mm-hmm. really hampering free agency. So the players aren't going to do that. Um, you know, the argument with CBT, the league says, look, it, it's, it's, it's gone up a certain amount over time. And, uh, you know, it, there's a typical amount that goes up. Um, the, the player argument is really look how much revenues have gone up. And uh, the CBT hasn't, you know, kept pace. Um, teams can afford more. And the league will, will argue competitive balance, you know, that, well, you can't have this disparity between small market teams and large market teams teams um but so right now the league is proposed 214 going up to 220 in 2020 the last one the year we just finished was 210 right so that's, right. that's where we ended 210 leagues proposed 214 going up to 220 the players have proposed uh i think it's 240 i want to say 240 something going up to 273 uh sorry i don't remember everything off the top of my head but um you know so there's a big gap there and uh it's it's important to understand that that it's not, there's an argument made sometimes that well most teams don't go over it so it doesn't affect many teams or players the the players would argue that's not true so if 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 there are fewer bidders on a player because teams don't want to go over it that Im- impacts the whole market so that that it, it is right. a very significant restraint on what teams do even if the number of teams not going over it well how many teams are stopping uh short of it um, what was the, and the other question? Is it a quasi cap? Look, there are definitely teams, the Red Sox included, who have treated that threshold, that first tier, as something like a cap. It, it's In not years with certain superstars. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And and teams have gotten more overt about it to the point that you see owners talk about, you know, we got to stand luxury tax. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. You know whether they sh- whether that's rational whether the amount of money you actually have to commit to to go over the first tier it really should deter you. It, it, at the end, it doesn't really matter if teams are if even some teams are are treating it that way. Uh, then you do have to, if you're the players, you you take that information and account for it. 
it, it just the technicality is like baseball doesn't if you if you start to look at the salary cap systems in the other sports baseball does not have a salary cap right there, there there are literal limits on the amount of money that can be dispersed to players in a given year there's escrow yeah. you know you, you you don't get all your money so it's it's we like to be technical here sometimes but yeah teams do treat it as a as an upper limit there's no question what about that theory that you know teams the the red sox yankees dodgers some of those big market teams sat out free agency in that initial wave because they figured that you know the the it would go up so substantially that they'd be able to have a much better understanding and a bigger budget uh once this was all resolved and they can and the uh, freezes up it doesn't really add up to me because no. that would assume that the the large market owners would would I mean, their proposal was like we just talked about. The August proposal was to lower it to 180. Yeah. I, you know, there there might be some large market owners that would like to spend more, but you know, they're also they're pretty wise and understand that the, the less spending there is, the more they're going to make over time, right? Like mm-hmm. they, they they're not dumb business people, uh, not always anyway. And um, so no, I it, because because it, then the premise is that that the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Dodgers would have known. That like yeah the small that we would have been able to agree to this right like but you're seeing those owners you know Hal Steinbrenner and John Henry are on the labor policy committee the seven owner labor policy committee um you you, you would have seen those owners um they don't they don't know that uh, they can get that right and I don't right. think they want to get that is, is what I'm trying to say so convenient cop out is what you're saying. I don't really remember hearing that, uh, but maybe you did. Maybe it was a Boston thing um, that, sure. that, that, that they're waiting because that, so that's assuming that like a, the Red Sox and Yankees owners want it and B that the rest of the owners would agree to it. And I don't mm-hmm. think either that's actually true. Like right. maybe the Yankees and Red Sox wouldn't mind being able to spend a little bit more, but like, look at, I mean, they're, they're, they, they like making a lot of money and the lower the CBT is the more money they're going to make. Next up, an interesting one that we've never seen before, but the draft lottery. Where things stand with that? Yeah, well, you know, it's about tanking, right? So you, yeah. you have this problem where teams tanking is a very, uh, very popular issue today out there on the Twitter Twitter sphere. Why? What happened? I just uh, I think Brian Flores uh, made some accusations about the, to the Dolphins and Hugh Jackson about the Browns and some tanking in the NFL. Yeah, that'll be. I know you're so watch. you're so one track mind on, on no, baseball, I, I know. but I was I, I was I was baiting you. I was right. I was, no, I'm not prompting I know. you. I know. Um, yeah, look, the players are, you know, as we said, young talent is cheap. How do you get young talent through the draft? You know, these players are cost controlled. And uh, so teams like those players and you had teams that are losing essentially intentionally to get those draft picks. Uh, and so the players want to take away the incentive to do that. And both sides have proposed variants of a lottery league's variant would have the top three picks decided by lottery the players variant would have the top eight picks there are other things with it that that the players are also proposing some other restrictions and incentives because they um they basically the player feeling is that the league's proposal to have it just be three picks isn't enough so if you finish with the worst record in baseball under the league's proposal the worst you could pick the next year is fourth so if you missed if you didn't get one of the top three picks after the top three picks, it just goes back to reverse order, right? right? So you're you're getting the fourth pick, and which can sometimes be the best player in the draft, right? Like baseball's draft is 
it's just not as certain. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, would you rather have the fourth pick or would you rather have the 15th pick? You're still probably going to fight for the fourth pick. Yeah. Um, is, is the working logic there. So the, the players just don't think the, the league proposal goes far enough. Um, and you know, the, the owners don't, owners like the ability to not spend money. And I, I, would, I would make sure people understand one of the great values of tanking is you don't have to spend money in that time, right? Mm-hmm. You are incentivized to have a bad roster. What is a bad roster? Often it's a cheap roster, right? right? So you're basically saying you can take a few years off and then spend when you're ready. Uh, service time manipulation is obviously one that comes up every year. And that uh, is just a, a pretty blatant thing that happens. And it seems like uh, players trying to get that out of the game. Uh, yeah. And they don't feel like the league has tried to do enough on it. Um, it's a hard look when service time is counted by days. When you have a counting of days system, it, what's been explained to me is that it is literally impossible to totally eliminate it. Yeah. You can always mess around with it because you're counting days. Like the, you'd have to go to an age based system, which was talked about briefly and is not going to happen uh, this go around. So it's a question of what do you, what can you do to actually give teams a reason to call a player up um and th- there's both sides now have a conceptual uh interest in giving a draft pick to teams uh if if a guy performs well as as you know top prospect does perform well um and the it, it's basically around okay if a guy comes up and deserves a year of service he wins rookie of the year if he's top five in this voting uh, top X in wins above replacement at his position, be it top 20, top seven, depends on the position. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, that guy deserves a year of service. That's the core of the union proposal is yeah. um, doesn't matter if you call this guy up on April 1st or April 20th. If he performs well enough, you're giving him that year of service. Mm-hmm. That'll be when all, all that was figured out. That'll be fun to track in, in real time with, with certain players. So it won't be complicated at all. Yeah, I'm sure you'll do that. Yeah, and uh, last two things, expanded playoffs and the universal DH. I think the universal DH is just going to happen, right? Both are going to happen because, yeah. you know, you talk, like I said earlier, it's not all about trading, right? But these are, both sides should have reasons to want the universal DH, mm-hmm. um, including, you can argue, health. Um, it is a little bit of a give to the players money-wise because it's a position that teams will pay for. Not, not as much as they used to, right? There's not there's not a bunch of you know, David Ortiz types, right? Never mind, you know. But the the, the old school DH is, is not really around anymore. Um, and look, the owners want expanded playoffs because they get more TV money, it's significant money to them. So it's something the players have to give. So yeah, those those two are going to happen. The question on expanded playoffs uh, is how many teams are in the player. The players have proposed twelve. The league has proposed 14 players actually proposed realigning divisions to have it be two divisions uh, mm-hmm. instead of three uh, for, I think mostly for scheduling purposes is my understanding. So, I mean, I, I, I guess something could change, but like, yeah, I would predict that the universal DH and the expanded playoffs will be a part of this deal. So that's, that's two things that you can, uh, you can safely say around. That's about, it's about it at this point because there's well, the pre, I mean, you can you can probably safely say you're going to see a pre-R bonus pool, yeah, right. Like if you're, if you're talking about changes in this deal, probably going to see that. You're probably going to see some both sides now like the idea of a draft pick with um, 
service time manipulation. Like maybe so, so maybe that's likely. You know, when you start to get to the conceptual thing, agreement, you know, then it's a matter of negotiating the numbers, and the, that's my understanding is that's usually easier to do. And the last one, this is the one that affects me the most, is the Fenway Park media dining on the table as they sit down and discuss these issues. Mm. Um, you know, the lobster rolls they pro- they provide in the playoffs are, are very allergy. nice. Shellfish allergy. Yeah. Well, that's not going to do well for you. I Look, I haven't had Red Sox media dining in a few years, so I, I don't want right, to put fired. anyone down. Um, uh, I do, you know, but I was there for a period of time, and I, and I, I, I would say it uh, um, it's probably a little better in the earlier years, but, you know. There's some people working hard there. I don't. I don't want to trash it. You know, not everybody has a cafeteria in their place of work, so we're very fortunate. Yeah, yeah. Don't wow. get me in trouble. Don't a get me. Positive in trouble. spin from Evan Drellick as we close things out. So that's basically everything you need to know about the lockout in less than 30 minutes. That was uh, surprisingly good. Uh, thank you. Yeah, this is great, Chris. Let's let's do it again soon or something. <laughs>